Content warning. Not all shows will be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. In a world overwhelmed with remakes and franchises, one network dares to be different. Join Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world as they dare to reshoot the most ambitious feature the podcast world has ever seen. Coming this fall, the Pocket Podcast Network presents Corruption in the Caves. installment of the Pocket Podcast Network's Summer Blockbuster. We had Pokemakers create the monster, cult classics came up with the story behind the monster, then Green Mountain Mysteries played with the monster in their notorious RPG. And now, presented to you by Callie and Eric of Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World, here is our contribution to the blockbuster. Since Tia and Rio are currently the only scripted show on the network, we wrote our own little tale called More Than a Crab Woman. Now dive in for this year's summer blockbuster. Enjoy. More Than a Crab Woman There sits an island, far from our civilization, far from the humdrum of everyday life, that is the home to a host of what some would call society's rejects. The people on this island have chosen this lifestyle as it suits them best. They despise traditions, trends, and the mainstream. They have sex whenever they want, with whomever or whatever. It's a judgment-free zone, honestly. And they believe that social media has made a mockery of humanity. And I mean, are they wrong? It is on this island of happy misfits where one would find the colorful Sabrina, telling her tales of capitalist woe to the young children that have been born here. As Sabrina prepares for the children that will soon be making their way to her quaint shack, she notices something new, something to celebrate. Eggs. Lots of eggs. Her favorite red crab, Gerda, is going to have offspring. Sabrina can't help but smile at this beautiful sight. There are so many eggs. After 40, she stops counting. Wait till the kids see this, she mutters to herself, kissing her index finger before ever so gently placing that same finger on Gerda's head. There is no real way to tell if a crab is happy, but Sabrina envisions a small smirk on this crustacean's face. Sabrina moves to a small, half-enclosed area several feet from her shack and rings her school bell. Sabrina is not a teacher, at least not in her mind. The others on the island may beg to differ, but Sabrina likes to think of the lessons she provides as a kind of spiritual guide to help kids realize their full potential and to avoid convention at all costs. In about 10 minutes, all the usual children are gathered around their favorite storyteller, and several hours pass as she shares her wisdom and encourages the kids to share stories of their own. They even get a treat when Sabrina lets each of them, one at a time, come with her by the side of her shack to gaze at Gerda's nearly ready-to-hatch eggs. The children stare in adoration, 
They had never experienced or witnessed something so massive and extraordinary. The children can barely contain their excitement. Wow, Sabrina, is that Titanic? Titanic is your pet? No, no, no. This is not Titanic. Titanic would be almost the size of my house that's like way over there. Titanic is the biggest crab of all time. Yeah, because it eats other crabs. Yeah, and people. I heard Titanic can grow back his arms and interchange them with other arms. Sabrina laughs at these stories. <laughs> Fucking kids. Sabrina disappoints the children for the first and only time of the night and tells them that Titanic is just a myth, that the infamous crab monster of lore is, alas, not real. The children boo this sentiment. Once every child had their turn to look but not touch, Sabrina explains that not all the baby crabs will survive. However, the fact that Gerda stayed in one place to lay her eggs showcases her trust in Sabrina and a general comfort and security within her surroundings. The more the children and Sabrina talk about crabs, the more excited the children become, so much so that soon they are begging Sabrina to tell them one of her infamous tall tales, the ones that keep the kids up at night and give them goosebumps. After much prodding, Sabrina finally caves and begins to tell one of the scariest stories she remembers hearing. Sabrina feels the slightest hint of fear as she remembers how the story goes. She shakes it off. Okay. Have any of you ever heard the tale of the drifter? All the children, except for one, shake their heads. The one who doesn't react is considered to be the island brat. He's only nine and already acts like he knows everything. All the adults, and most of the children, would say he's a pain in the ass. And that's okay to say here on the island because there aren't any rules, and the kid's a real shit. There is a legend of a man that floats from island to island on a raft. Those who have survived an encounter call him the Drifter. His presence is an omen of bad luck and death. The Reaper on the Seas. He first appears as a silhouette, black against the dying sun. His eyes glow a pale yellow. His raft is made of driftwood. He is very proud of his driftwood. Some stories say he was a carpenter before he began haunting the seas. What's a carpenter? One of the children asks. Sabrina sighs. Sometimes she wonders and thoroughly worries about the future of the human species, even on an island. Would it kill kids to crack a fucking book? <sighs> a carpenter is someone who builds and repairs structures made of wood. I am decent at carpentry, and that's why my shack is superior to most on this island. Anyway, back to the drifter. Sabrina deepens her voice to add an eerie effect. Every time he goes ashore, his raft grows bigger. Legend has it that every piece of driftwood represents another soul he has collected from the countless islands he has made his dark journey to. If the drifter ever offers you a ride on his raft, tell him no. He will tell you that he can take you anywhere. Do not accept. He will take you exactly where you want to go. 
But everything has a price. And if you take a ride, you can bet his boat is gonna get bigger. Sabrina stops suddenly, her face filling with dread as she gazes out on the water surrounding them. And here he comes now! She points out and screams. The children roar in terror, trying to turn around to look at the evil drifter. But there is nothing there. Sabrina laughs. <laughs> Her laughter is beautiful and kind. The kids, realizing it was all a joke, start to laugh as well. But their laughter is hesitant and reserved, with the exception of the island brat, who didn't really understand how boats got bigger, you know, or the whole point of the story. The rest of the children, though, will surely be looking over their shoulders as they make their way home tonight. They may even sleep with the lights on in their bedrooms. That is, if they have lights. Or a bedroom. It's an island with shacks tucked away from civilization, not a damn resort. As the day dwindles toward night, and all the children have gone home, Sabrina makes her way back to her beloved shack with her even more beloved crabs. While she has broken most all conventions, she still enjoys a nightly ritual with her favorite animals. To lull the crabs to sleep, she hums and sometimes boldly sings Bee Gees tunes. While humming, Sabrina feeds her beloved crabs their last meal before bed. The larger crabs, like Gerda, get a plethora of small fish to eat, courtesy of Sabrina's incredible fishing skills, while the smaller crabs get their nightly live worm meal. After she finishes her loving goodnights, she doesn't head for her house, but instead goes into her backyard. She disappears into the shade of the dark forest, deeper and deeper in. She finally approaches another shack, smaller than her abode on the beach. It's old and worn down, but sturdy. There is a padlock on the door. She pulls out a key and unlocks it. She takes a quick look around her, then heads inside and shuts the door. Sabrina hits a light switch. Before her is a very cozy and sweet little room. Light fixtures thoughtfully placed all throughout give the room a glowing, soft mix of cool and warm light. The ground in the room is a mix of sand and dirt. Other than a short bed pushed against the back wall, there are two antennas sticking up from out of the ground. These antennas seem to have eyeballs on each tip. Good evening, Titanic. Sabrina greets the mostly hidden giant crab with a large smile. The eyes smile back. This time, Sabrina knows there's a smile. Sabrina steps toward Kaitanic, gets down on her knees and places a hand on a completely flat area of the shell in between the two eye sticks. Are you sure this is what you want? She looks into the left eye. The eye communicates positively. She looks to the right. Are you sure? Yes. This can't be comfortable for you. Titanic lets out a long sigh. The earth underneath the cabin area shakes briefly. Sabrina knows. She knows the world can be a dangerous place, filled with dangerous things and dangerous people, especially a natural anomaly like Titanic, who would attract the attention of any damn poacher on this planet 
and worse, the mainstream. She knows why Kaitanic is staying here. It's safe. Kaitanic will stay here for as long as it isn't, then will go away and live out hundreds more years somewhere else on this big earth. Sabrina often gets sad thinking about Kaitanic, but then she remembers that the big crab probably has some karma coming its way. There is something eerily familiar in this beast's eyes. Sabrina identifies with Kaitanic. Some may see this creature as a monster, but she sees him as an ally. Then again, maybe she has some karma coming her way too. As far as Kaitanic is concerned, this is like one of those luxury prisons where rich people can keep playing tennis. Sabrina hopes so, anyway. But she can always tell by Kaitanic's eyes that there is some love involved. Sabrina realizes there is no love in those eyes right now. Kaitanic's eyes are no longer looking at her, but instead seem afraid. She follows Kaitanic's gaze and listens. The wind is picking up. Shit. She places her hand on the spot again. Thank you. She stands up and heads outside. Sabrina sees the wind blowing harshly. Clouds cluster in the sky, the sun almost beneath the horizon. As she reaches the shore, she notices a raft floating in toward her home on the beach. Sabrina stands there, frozen. A man stands completely still on the raft, even though the wind has picked up and the water with it. She can barely make out the man's silhouette, but even from the large distance between her and this ominous person, she can see his eyes glowing a pale yellow. She gets goosebumps. Fear sets in. Nearly two decades ago, Sabrina lost her brother, Stephen, in what the newspapers would call a, quote, tragic accident. Sabrina never believed it was an accident. Her brother was one of the hardest-working people she had ever known. He wanted to become a doctor, but because medical school was outrageously expensive and neither Sabrina nor Stephen came from money, Stephen worked his ass off at a country club near the Hamptons. If Stephen didn't come from money, he liked to pretend he did. Sabrina had warned him that the wealthy are often the worst tippers. She hated never getting to see him anymore since he was always working. Eventually, Stephen became so well-known in this country club as the most outstanding bartender and server that he started being hired for private gigs. His favorite parties to serve were the yacht parties, where he'd be invited on those million-dollar or more boats to work. Sabrina constantly reminded him that he was just an employee to them, not a colleague, and certainly not a friend. But her brother was so determined to live an extravagant lifestyle that reason seemed to be something he left behind. It would be on one of these multi-million dollar yacht parties that Stephen would tragically lose his life. No one but Stephen knows what happened to him. Stephen went on that yacht with nearly 90 other partygoers, and yet Stephen was the only one who did not return home. Sabrina worried he had overstepped his boundaries, perhaps acted like he belonged among the wealthy, and that maybe this rubbed some of them the wrong way. In her life experience, 
having grown up around rich people but never actually being one, made her realize that they didn't always think the same way the average person did. She also noticed that the same rules and laws didn't seem to apply to them either. So when Stephen was ruled to be missing, and months later his body would be found off the Jersey Shore, it was immediately ruled an accident. The people from the yacht all said he was drunk and dove off the side of the boat, eager for a swim. Sabrina knew it was total bullshit, and she couldn't let it go. If the law was going to let these monsters get away with killing her brother, she would have to take matters into her own hands. And she did. It wasn't hard for her to swindle her way into being the top bartender for the same elite her brother served. It wasn't hard for her to start being asked onto the yacht parties. She always had to keep a taser handy, as many of the older men thought nothing of grabbing her, like she was a piece of meat. In fact, at one such event, when she was serving her drinks at a seafood feast, a live crab pinched one of the men being inappropriate with her. Thus beginneth her love of crabs. It was also at these yacht parties that many of the people on board started falling ill. No one suspected Sabrina of foul play. She didn't look anything like Stephen, not that any of these privileged people would remember him anyway. But she remembered them. In fact, she was waiting for an invitation to be asked to serve on the same yacht with the same people she knew were responsible for her brother's untimely death. A little over one year since Stephen first went missing, Sabrina got her wish. On this grotesquely lavish yacht, Sabrina convinced the owners to allow her to serve her specialty drink with their first dinner together. The owners loved this idea. Since the yacht was meant to be a party, the more alcohol, the better. Her cocktail was the buzz of the party, an amaretto cocktail that she called Dinner at Tiffany's. The iconic Tiffany blue in appearance, the cocktail tasted of cherries, almonds, and chocolate. So having her prepare one of these cocktails for every partygoer on board made the owners of this yacht proud to have found such a hardworking and eager to impress server. Eager she was, in fact. Sabrina even made a toast with their first dinner meal together. She insisted everyone wait to taste the drink, so many of them had already ordered throughout the day, excited to indulge now with their meal. Sabrina would raise her glass of her precious amaretto drink, a larger-than-life smile on her face. A toast to everyone who will party hard until the day they die, and live deliciously while doing so. May we all strive to eat, drink, and play at Tiffany's. Cheers, she would say before downing her drink. Everyone on board would yell, Cheers! Back in return, right before diving into the cocktails already next to them, Sabrina counted in her head. One, two, three. Until she got to nine. And at nine seconds, the vast majority of the crowd before her would drop over dead. Then more. And more. The smile never faded from Sabrina's face. See, the thing is, Cyanide smells just like almonds, and it's cyan in color. Sabrina had made sure her fingerprints were nowhere on this yacht, and she dove off to swim away from the scene, paddling her way to freedom, to live in a place where no one would know where she had come from, and where no one would ever suspect she could have ever done such a thing. That's what she had hoped would happen, but the swim back to land proved to be increasingly difficult, 
She could barely feel her arms halfway through. She wanted to give up. Rage had been her only fuel. Suddenly, she heard the sound of lapping water approaching from behind her. She turned suddenly and sees a man standing on a raft, his silhouette dark against the sunset. He offers his hand to her. She takes it. He pulls her onto the raft. Within minutes of laying down, Sabrina falls asleep. As the raft gets closer, she can't help but detect a whiff of almonds. Sickly sweet, she gulps, suddenly aware that the water surrounding her is an eerily beautiful cyan color. The raft continues to close in until it washes on shore. The silhouetted man steps off the raft. He gets closer to her, and she tries to move. She can't. Her body tense, her senses heightened. She is paralyzed by fear. Within seconds, he is upon her. Her adrenaline finally kicks in, and she says, I'm not sorry for what I did. Those people got what they deserved. The drifter puts his hands around her throat. She struggles to breathe, but she pushes through the pain and yells, If you're here to avenge their deaths, then you're on the wrong side of karma. You better believe you're going to get yours too. Your drifting days are over. <laughs> <gasps> she can barely breathe now, but it's not his hands on her neck that causes her to choke. It feels like water is filling up her lungs, rising up her throat. Liquid begins dribbling out of her nostrils and the corners of her mouth. She makes one more desperate attempt to save herself, and with all her might, pushes the drifter's arm away from her throat with the palm of her hand. He shuffles backward, and she falls to the ground. Sabrina scrambles to get up and runs to her shack hoping to make it inside. She gets to her door, but the drifter slams her head against the door, the crack echoing all around the empty island shore. The drifter stands proudly above Sabrina's limp body. He waits as he watches the blood trickle down, staining the sand around her. His attention turns to her shack. It's made of driftwood. He admires this wood. He drags his long, twisted fingers on the largest piece before ripping it off the shack in one swift ninja move. He starts to walk back toward his raft, but stops when he sees a small crab on his newly prized driftwood. He slaps it off. He continues to his raft, but stops again. Hundreds of crabs stand between him and his precious raft. Angrily, he stomps down on a few of the smaller crabs at his feet, their hard shells cracking and breaking. The echoes from their deaths ring out louder than Sabrina's, the crab's movements becoming harsher and menacing. He looks out toward his vessel and sees that it is overcome by an army of these angry crustaceans. They start slashing at the ropes, keeping the raft together. Very quickly, the raft becomes dismantled. The drifter never makes a sound, but you can damn well bet he's more than surprised. He's scared. The crabs come out of every pore and crevice that the island has to offer. There are big crabs, baby crabs, crabs of every shape, size, and color, all eager to eat the man that killed their owner. Sabrina may have had a hard shell around her, and perhaps wasn't the most innocent person, seeing as she had poisoned nearly a hundred people, but boy, did she really love her crabs. They were the only thing she was able to get close to after losing her brother. 
The drifter starts backing away from the shore. There was no exit for him there. He turns to run inland. But as he enters the forest behind Sabrina's shack, an even darker shadow than the canopy washes over him. This time, the drifter gasps. (gasps) A massive claw, the size of a motorcycle, reaches toward him and grabs him by the waist. It takes its other claw and claps around his neck. As Kaitanic positions the drifter in its claws, hundreds of smaller crabs crawl up Kaitanic and onto the drifter. The drifter starts to howl like a banshee, but not for long. For the minute he opens his mouth, the crabs enter into it and begin suffocating him. Kaitanic watches for another moment, with obvious pleasure in its eyes, then suddenly clamps its pinchers harshly. Two quick squishy cracks are heard, and then three soft thuds. One for the drifter's legs, one for his torso, and one for his head. The following afternoon, the eager-to-learn children would find Sabrina's shack empty. Panicked, they begin yelling, desperate to find the woman who added so much spice into their lives on this island. A couple of the children rush off to find their parents or other adults, while the island brat attempts to capture one of the baby crabs, only to be pinched. Boy, did he scream his head off. Though, that would be the first of many karmic lessons for that child. The few loyal students, the ones most excited about learning, the ones who always begged for more of Sabrina's wild tales, catch something that causes their hearts to beat faster than ever before. The tale of the drifter may have been frightening, but the sight before them now sends shivers down each of their spines. What they sense is evil, a great evil at that. Miles and miles away offshore, there is a giant crab moving away from the island. As they each call on one another to try and get a better glimpse of the fading vision, they see the giant crab is carrying their beloved Sabrina, holding her up like the hero she will always remain to them. This 2023 summer blockbuster story was written by Callie Oberlander and Eric Brown. All voices are performed by Callie Oberlander. All editing and music are by Eric Brown. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this installment of the Pocket Podcast Network's Summer Blockbuster. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.